Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. It's, a, it's an exciting time of year. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. That's why all of you are here, I'm assuming, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love, I love how exciting it is and how creative people can get around this time of year. And we can spend a lot of energy trying to share this really, really good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is. It's incredibly good news. And it's wonderful to share. But I, I, I fear that sometimes in sharing it and getting creative and getting excited that sometimes we miss the very gospel and the meaning of resurrection. See, most of us will spend a lot of time and emphasis on today, but then a lot of people will spend the rest of the year not really thinking about the implications that come from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the implications of, of what it means to live by the gospel. In fact, the gospel is, is so simple and yet incredibly profound, but in its simplicity, sometimes I fear that we, we lose sight of the gospel because of the fact that we become complacent to it, or it's, it's something we've already heard. Even when I say the word gospel today. Many of us are like, oh yeah, I've heard that. And you just kind of check out, move on. And a lot of us view the same way with God towards resurrection or Easter Sunday. We go, okay, I can celebrate this year, but then the rest of the year, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't have any implications in my life. And so you spend a lot of time doing that. And since I have a microphone and you're all sitting here, I'm going to go ahead and spend, if it's okay with you guys, a little bit of time talking about the gospel today. See, I think the gospel is something that, that is so incredibly simple and so beautiful and so wonderful that, that many of us feel like we need to move on from it. And so let's, let's, let's talk about this word, the gospel. First off, it shows up over 90 plus times in the New Testament alone. The gospel is, is an old English word that's God's spell. Two words, God is good and spell is announcement or news. And so that's where we get the gospel as the good news. It's, it's, it's announcing the news that is good. And that's where we see it. Isaiah 52 is one of the spots where we see this actually show up in the Old Testament. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There's our word who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. There's the good news, your. It's a personal relationship with God, and he reigns. He's in charge. He's, he's over everything. He's in place. That's good news if you're God's. It's not good news if you're in opposition to him, but that's where the good news comes. In Mark 1, when Jesus sets on scene, just after John the Baptist is, is baptizing people, Jesus says in Mark 1, 14 through 15, he says, came into Galilee, proclaiming, so announcing, the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom, there we go, God's reign, kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in what? The good news, the gospel. So Jesus says, this is, this is the good news, repent and believe, submit yourselves to this, follow the, the good news of Jesus Christ in, in what God is doing in this way. So this, so what really makes this good news. What is the gospel, and why are, why, are, why are we even here celebrating the resurrection of one person? I mean, Jesus isn't the only one biblically to raise from the dead. We don't celebrate Lazarus. Why do we put so much emphasis in the fact that Jesus resurrected, and why, why this day? Why is this so profound and so big for us? I think if we, if we don't focus in on who Jesus is and understand exactly what happens in the gospel, we lose sight of the gospel, like I said at the beginning. See, Jesus isn't just a good person or a wonderful being. In fact, Jesus is God, the Son, who became a man. And it's important we say it that way. Jesus is God, the Son, who became a man. See, God, Jesus is God. We see that in Scripture. In fact, one of the best spots is Isaiah uh, 9, 6. It says, for to us a child is born. You hear this around Christmas Eve all the time. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is speaking of Jesus. 
We see in both the humanity and the deity of Jesus the Messiah in this, in this text. When it says, for us, a child is born, that talks about his humanity. To us, a son is given, talks about his deity. And so we see that, that Jesus is fully God who became a man. He left the throne room with God in perfect unity, everything wonderful, and he put on this flesh that ages and, and stubs its toe and, and feels the pain and the brokenness of this world. And he walked some 30 plus years amongst people that he had created, that he had knit together with God in their mother's womb. It says all things were created through Jesus in Colossians. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Down in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we have to understand that Jesus is who he really is. We have to understand that he is God because when we celebrate, hopefully many of you did this with your families or your gospel communities this last week, you, you celebrated Good Friday together. And we talk about, about Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins. These are terms that, that you've heard over and over and over again in the church that we kind of become numb to. But we have to remember that Jesus taking on the flesh as, as brutal and as gruesome, as horrific as the cross was, he is God and he's going through that. He has no right being on that cross. It's all of us that deserve that. Yet he willingly steps in obedience to God to follow, fulfill the plans of God to restore all creation. It's important that we see that, that we see that Jesus is God. And even as I say that, many of you just kind of listen and you're like, okay, yeah, great, move on. Now what's next? No, we have to rest. We have to sit in the fact that Jesus is God. Because the next part that makes this news really good news isn't just that Jesus is God, it's that we aren't. In fact, the scriptures say that there is none righteous, not one. Everyone has transgressed the laws of God in our thoughts or words or deeds. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is true of every single person in here, every single person in this world. Every single one of us fall immensely short. Not close, not just a little bit better than our neighbor or our spouse. Like, no, we fall completely short of the glory of God. And it's important for us to see this because our sin is what Jesus dies for. If we don't see how big and profound and how ugly our sin is or how big and profound and how amazing Jesus is God, we lose sight of the gospel. Our sin is there. It's real. Most of us know it. In fact, all of us have sinned in our thoughts, in our actions, in our deeds, whatever it may be. We've, we've all experienced probably more than we can count our own sinfulness. And those of us that, that struggle to even admit that, it's pride. Sin is, is around, it's, it's present, it's all of us. So then why does Jesus have to die for us? What makes this more good news? The bad news is we sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is, is that Jesus makes a way for us to experience righteousness and joy by dying for our sins. Death is, is interesting because the first time it shows up in scriptures is like in Genesis 2, not, not long after creation. And it's announced as a punishment to disobedience. God says there will be, there, death is what punishment is due to any disobedience to God's laws, which seems pretty extreme when you think about it. But at the end of the day, God being righteous and just can't accept those who commit crimes against him. See, God's justice decrees that he must punish every crime committed against him. And the punishment in God's mind is death. For that to happen, it has to be death. So this is, now, now you can see why we're lining up. Okay, we celebrated the death of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. Now we celebrate the resurrection of him on Easter. Well, why, did, why the death? Well, God, Jesus as God takes place on a cross where you and I belong to hang. Well, he dies for us. See, it's sin and death problems that make it impossible for a person to gain life with God through our own works. Because no matter how good we are, we're still criminal in God's sight. 
no matter how hard we try, no matter how many good things we do, we're still a criminal to God. God the Son became a man, lived a perfect life, allowed himself to be arrested, tried, convicted, and crucified. And as Jesus hung on the cross, God the Father took every sin I have committed or will commit and put it on him. Same for you. Jesus became my substitute, taking my sins on him, and then the wrath of God, my sins deserved, Jesus took. So, so why is that such a big deal? Well, just in case you're wondering if it was a big deal that what Jesus did, if you look back at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begins to start sweating blood as he thinks about this conversation, what's coming forward and what he's dealing with. And I don't believe that's because of the pain he was about to feel because then there are martyrs after him that did better than Jesus. He says in the garden, he says, if it is possible, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. He's speaking of the cup of God's wrath. I heard a pastor once say it this way. Every single one of us, every sin you commit is a drop in a cup. Every sin you're going to commit is a drop in a cup. And what we did on the day of the cross, it's like every single one of us took up a line and said, here, drink mine, Jesus, drink mine. And we emptied our cup into his, and he just kept drinking. Every single one of us, and we just watched him. He took the wrath of God, deserving of the punishment we have for the sinfulness that we are, and he took it upon himself so that we could be free. It's a a big thing. Jesus taking our sins, being a sacrifice for us is kind of a churchy word, substitutionary atonement. It's at the center of the resurrection and understanding it. It's that, that I am deemed righteous, not because of my doing, but because of his. This is where we see and understand the great love that God has for us. That The son would give his life for the father to place our sins on him and punish him in our place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 talks about this. It says, for our sake, he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God punished Jesus so he can forgive us and not punish us. And even as I say that, most of us are like, yeah, I've, I've heard that. I heard that when I was 13, and I, I checked that, I believe that, or I disagree with that, or whatever you want to say. You've, you've, you've made your assessment on this being an event that happened at one time, which it is. An event does happen, and it's worth celebrating. But we forget that there are present-day implications to this. I wrote it down this way. This is the gospel, ready? The gospel is the truth that we are all sinners before God and under the sentence of eternal death and separation from God. In his love for us, God the Father sent God the Son to earth to become a man. Jesus was born without a sin nature and lived a sinless life. He gave himself to be crucified and as he hung on the cross, God the Father took all of my sins, put them on Jesus and punished him in my place. Jesus took the wrath of God for me and he died. His body was placed in a tomb and on the third day he came back from the dead never to die again. God in his love and grace has overcome our two enemies of sin and death and those who acknowledge to Jesus that they are sinners submit themselves to him as Lord and trust him to save them from eternal condemnation are forgiven their sins and given the gift of eternal life with God and everlasting joy. But even as I say that, many of us are left wanting. It it seems like a fairly complete definition, and I I understand I didn't do the best job or the perfect job, but it's pretty much all there, right? Jesus died, we celebrated that on on Good Friday, and and then we we hang in the balance until he's risen, and resurrection is is amazing. He's raised out of the tomb, and and when people are looking for him, he's like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. He he appears to some 500 people, and we all hear that, and we say, oh yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's neat. That's worth putting my Sunday's best on for Easter and heading to church. And we view it as one single event. But when the gospel begins to take form in our life, it's different. And and, and I'm I'm assuming many of you know this. You've experienced this in your life. 
See, when, when, you, when you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord, even when you don't understand it all, even when you don't get it all, all of a sudden things start looking differently. You start seeing things differently. You have a new perspective and, and your, your eyes seemed opened to something that you had no idea was there, even though it was probably there all along and you just couldn't see it. You start living differently. Like 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 talks about imitate me as I imitate Christ. As we imitate Christ, as we start living for him, all of a sudden we start seeing motivations and things happen differently. We love because he loved us. We, we all of a sudden realize that when I'm loving someone, it's, not just, an, it's just not just a step of my own. It's, it's, it's gospel. It's, it's full of the gospel. And, and my life is starting to be transformed. And I want to love more even when I don't love people. But I see the love come out of me because we recognize that it's not our own strength. It's not our own doing. It's what the gospel does in us. It's a, it's a part of us. And this is what I want us to establish today is that the gospel isn't just a one-time event. It isn't something that we just celebrate one time a year when Jesus resurrected and praise God he walked out of the tomb and that's a beautiful blessing and it's an amazing thing but there are present day implications to it and this is where you and I really struggle but yet we, if we're honest, we, we feel it. We can sense it in ourselves. We forgive people because we've been forgiven. We no longer feel good about walking in unforgiveness or holding on to unforgiveness because we recognize that the gospel has transformed our lives and, and the gospel is saturated with forgiveness. So we forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The, the clause is that we forgive the same way that God had forgiven us. That doesn't happen unless you understand the gospel. That doesn't happen unless the gospel captivates your heart and pulls on you because you aren't going to forgive. Forgiveness is, is, is a hard thing to do, even as believers. Many of you in here still need to be doing it. But the command is to do it the way that God forgave you through Christ. And the gospel moves out of us and we start forgiving that way. We start serving, recognizing that as we imitate Christ, as we live for Christ, that he didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. And the climax of him setting up the last Passover meal, he gets down on his knees and serves his disciples in, a, in, a, in an unreasonable, ridiculous way that only slaves did. And Jesus does that for his disciples and says, model this, do this the way that I do it. And so when we start serving, we don't serve in grumbling ways. We recognize that we are meant to serve because that's what imitating Christ looks like. This is the gospel. It just infiltrates every aspect of our life. We recognize that in Christ, there's joy. Why? How can there be joy? Well, it says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, despising shame, fixed eyes on the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because there's joy. So we can recognize that we can have joy if Jesus can endure the cross, knowing that the joy is coming from that. We just start living this and breathing this. It just comes out. This is why we love a good redemption story. You love those movies where there's redemption. Why? Because the gospel is about redemption. We are wired to see this. You guys have been seeing this. Whether you believe this or not, you see the gospel in every aspect of our life. And that's how we are to live. We want to see something redemptive happen. Many of us will see a, a disgusting yard all weeded out and we'll want to pull it up and we'll see something that wasn't beautiful that now is beautiful. That's gospel. Yes, some of you are controlling. You just like to have no weeds. That's great. But either way, it's gospel. We see something not beautiful become beautiful. That is the gospel. See, the gospel isn't just a one-day thing. It's every aspect of our life. And I would argue or contend with every single one of you that your heart, the inner being of who you are, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is clamoring for good news, is pushing for good news, and you look for it in everything. That's why we love justice, because God is just. And when you see someone, some meme on Facebook show some incredible forgiveness story, you bawl and weep because you see forgiveness. 
You're moved by the movies that, that are displaying gospel, whether they know it or not. It is in every aspect of our life. The gospel is here. A new life, transformation. And this is why we get excited about Easter or resurrection is because we recognize that the gospel has present day implications. And this is why we should be compelled to share the good news with our friends and our families because we want them to experience the joy that only can come through Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel does to us. It puts a a hitch in your step, an excitement in your day. You wake up with purpose and meaning. It's not just to go through the motions and, and, and do your dues and pay your time and, and, and get excited about a song here or there. It's every aspect of our life. It's recognizing that we are welcomed, not only welcomed, but given away into the throne room of God because of Jesus Christ and that he has given us a command and a work to do today. Think of it this way. Let's just imagine for a second. So Jen and I have been married for 13 years this last February. Let's say for our 13-year anniversary, I was like, all right, Jen, I'm going to plan, you know, the, the most amazing anniversary ever. We're going to dump our poor kids on some poor schmuck, right? And we're going to let him have them, right, for a week. They're great kids. I'm just kidding. So we're going to dump them off, and we're going to go away, and it's going to be incredible. We're going to go out of town, and I'm going to make you breakfast every day. We're going to eat lunch, and then we're going to go out to dinner, and it's just going to be us, and it's just going to be beautiful. We're going to celebrate the fact that we've made it 13 years. Can you believe it? we made it 13 years? It's so incredible. And every single one, you'd be like, wow, Brent, great job. Jen's probably going, she's sitting here going, yeah, that'd be nice, right? Like, we're all, we're all excited about that. And then we do this, and I go from one thing to the next. Okay, today we're hiking, and today we're doing this, and we're, we got all these things. And at the end of the weekend, I'm like, Jen, was that not the best anniversary ever? And she's like, yeah, well, yeah, the time was nice. The kids were gone. But I just really wanted to be with you. And you spent so much time planning the celebration of the fact that we made it 13 years that you forgot to spend time with me. And I think that's what we do with Jesus. I think that's what we do with the Gospels. We spend so much time getting excited about the things of the Gospel and the way that the Gospel can affect things that we forget that we're supposed to live according to the Gospel, that the Gospel has infiltrated our heart and that we are to sit with Jesus and to spend time with Him and to not lose sight of the fact that we live every day because of the Gospel. So many of us have spent so much time celebrating an anniversary forgetting what the whole anniversary means. Many of you showed up today. It's historically the most attended Sunday for the American church. People come out in droves to celebrate the resurrection. And then it's the, you know what the historically least attended Sunday? Not that Sunday attendance is the gospel. It's the following week. Why? Because everyone paid their due. They celebrated once as if it's only a one-time event. And that's where I think we get the gospel wrong. Is we assume that we can just, I made this confession at 13 or 15 or 20 or whatever it was. And I'm good to go. And I don't need to say anything else. And there's no implication in my life. And there's no sanctification happening. And we just forget that the gospel is at play in our own lives daily. Many of you have lost sight of that. You're missing the whole point because you forget Jesus in this. We're going to do something different today. and I'm, That's my warning for anyone that's like, oh, different, okay? I'm going to ask you in a second here to all, all of you to stand up. I, I looked at a, I was looking at, as I was studying through this, I came across a John Piper, one of John Piper's kind of definitions of what the gospel is, and I changed it from plural to singular, and I want us to stand up and I want us to read it together. I want us to make this declaration. So, so I've given you a little bit of warning. Your hearts are beating. Can everyone stand up, please, and join me? <laughs> okay? So if you can put the definition up there, Karen. This is the definition that, that John Piper said. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this together. So I'll start. You guys just jump in, and we'll all read this out loud together. Everyone take part. Ready? The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for my sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation because I believe, but only everlasting joy. 
See, even, even though I asked you to do it, and thank you for obliging, that's great, some of you did that with no meaning in your heart. Some of you said those words, and you don't believe that. You don't believe that there's no condemnation. You feel condemned, or you're condemning. You don't, you don't truly believe that he's eternally triumphant over all his enemies, including sin and death. You don't believe that he died for your sins or that he rose again for you. You see it for someone else, but you won't personalize it. And, and it, it breaks my heart that, that you can go through the motions and miss the whole fact that this is true of anyone that submits their life to Jesus Christ. This is, this is your testimony. This is your story. This is what God has done for you, not just for the world, but for you personally. Put your name in there for Bren. And so we're going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to do something else. Now this part, I get it. Some of you are like, oh boy, what's he asking, okay? No one has to participate if you don't want to. You'll just be looked at differently. I'm just kidding. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no one has to participate. In the second here, I'm going to ask everyone to sit down after I pray. Except I'm going to ask for two groups of people to stay standing. The first group of people that I want to ask to stay standing are the people that are in here today that realize that that's the first time they've ever truly uttered that and that they believe that. I want you to stay standing. I want you to stay, I understand. You're like, whoa, what do my, what do my friends think? What do my spouse think? What do my parents think? It doesn't matter what they will think. What is the gospel doing in your heart? And so I want you to stay standing. If this, is, if this is the first time, you can say, you know what? This is the first time I truly believe that the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for my sins and rose again. That he's eternally triumphant over all my enemies so that there is now no condemnation because I believe but only everlasting joy. And I want you to say, like Romans 10, 9 says, confess, acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior. Give yourselves to him and stay standing. And if, you, if they stay standing, I want to encourage anyone around them just to start praying for them. You don't have to know them. You don't have to talk about it. Just pray for them. But there's a second group I want to stay standing. And this is a group that I think would fit a lot of us in here, unfortunately. is the group of people that realize that as I've even been talking about the gospel, when you first heard the gospel, you're like, oh, man, I was kind of hoping for a more creative Easter service today. Like, you, you've moved past the gospel, and you realize your life is not marked because of the gospel. And you've been distracted, or you've been celebrating the anniversary of the gospel, not living by it daily. See, Jesus says to, to die to ourselves daily. In Luke 9, 24, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There is no crossless obedience. You must die to yourself daily. And some of you, you realize, man, I have not been doing that. And this isn't necessarily recommitting, but this is maybe just a declaration that you want to say that one more day and say, tomorrow I'm waking up and I'm dying to myself and the Spirit is going to live in me and God is going to get the glory for my life no matter whether I'm in school, a parent, married or not married. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. Everything is going to be about Him and I'm done letting this world drown it out. And some of you need to stay standing for that. And if those people are standing too, as, as everyone's standing, I just would encourage you guys, if you're not standing and you sat down, you feel peace to sit down, that's great. Praise God for that. Take the time to pray for someone else. If there's no one around you, to pray for, and start praying for those that don't know Jesus. Start praying for your brothers and sisters that have no idea that Christ died for their sins. Start praying for the family members that are your family, that will be in the throne room of God, but have not been freed from the shackles they're carrying in this world yet. Let's spend the time praying for them. So in a second, I'll ask you to sit. God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news. Forgive us for seeing just how bad it was at times in our lives. Forgive us for going through the motions. God, would you give us the boldness and the strength to make this declaration, not just a statement that we do in our own might, but a statement that we speak in confidence, knowing that the spirit that raised Jesus out of the tomb lives in those who submit their lives to him. And that same power can give us everything necessary to walk in obedience to you. God, I thank you for this time. And I pray that as 
people stand or people sit, as we think of people to pray for God, would you do a mighty work? Even if we're praying for people that we believe will never, ever submit themselves to the gospel, God, would you show us that you are stronger than the most stubborn hearts and that people are still worth praying for? Because without you, there is no hope. There is no joy. There is no life. pray all this in Jesus' name. You may sit or stand. Thank you for having the boldness to stand. If those of you are still praying, please keep praying. I hope that this wasn't just a statement of confidence in a moment, but is a true life change where you see that obedience of the Spirit leading you to the rest of your life. Um, I'm going to ask you to do two other things. Now, you guys are like, man, you've been asking a lot today. Well, deal with it, okay? <laughs> two other things. One is, is when we imitate Christ in our life, there's a number of ways we can do it. Like I said, we love, we forgive, we do all of those things. But one of the things that we can do is conform to his image in, in the death, burial, and resurrection, and that's baptism. Baptism is a, is a profound opportunity for you to not only just say what you believe, but to show that in obedience to him. In fact, one would say it's kind of the first litmus test to following the Lord, right? If I'm going to submit my life to the Lord, then I'm going I'm to be baptized in his name for his glory. And so we have one baptism already scheduled for the end of the service today, and we've had done a, a couple others today as well. I, I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider being, being buried in the likeness of Jesus so that you can be resurrected in the likeness of him. That's what, that's what baptism is. Romans 6, 3, 4 says, Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so for some of you, you're like, man, I don't know. I came in my Sunday's best clothes. Like, I don't really know. We got towels. Who cares? Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what I want to say. And I, I want to I encourage you, like we talked about last week, to count the cost. The declaration you just made, some of you for the first time, some of you for, for kind of the, 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 hopefully the last time to live by this, that declaration, right, you, you made that because the Spirit was stirring you, not because I pulled in some emotion. This is a work of God. It's not because I'm saying the right things or the wrong things. But some of you need to prayerfully consider getting baptized. And Acts, I'm always amazed by this because there was, you know, 2,000 people showed up to church in their Sunday best and went home in soggy clothes. So I think a few of us could do that too if that's obedience to what God's commanding of you. I have towels, the water's warm. We'll do that in just a second. The next thing I'm gonna ask of you, because I'm just asking all kinds of things of you, okay? As some of you know this, we are in, a, um, in the process of relocating. This building's going away. By the end of June, we're hoping to be in our new facility. There's a timeline for you guys. One of the things that I've really, really wrestled with through this whole process is, is similar to the same thing that kind of started this whole process of, of like a simple gospel message over the Resurrection Sunday was that my fear was that many people, the first thing I ask, and I understand, and we're excited, right? Hey, how's the building coming? What's going on with the building? What's going on with the building? And I started worrying that the, that the building will become the thing and not the gospel. That we'll spend so much energy and time that we'll move into this facility and be like, whew, whew, we made it. No more setting up and tearing down, which there will be tearing down after the service, just so you know, right? And we'll be like, oh, we made it. Good, we've arrived. And we'll just kind of hit cruise control as if our job is done. But if you're still breathing, there's a command that's over you. It says, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a command to every believer. And, and so one of the things that we had the thought as we were praying through, like, well, how do we keep ourselves fixated on the gospel and not the building? And so one of the ideas that we came up with is I want to invite all of you to head over to the building after we tear down here, okay? I'm just kidding. You can go if you don't want to tear down and you have somewhere else to be. Head to the building over on Main and 27th. It's framed, so there's a bunch of metal studs all over on the wall. And I, we have a bunch of permanent markers. And I wanted every single person to go as a family, to go as gospel communities, to go as individuals, to write down the names of people that don't know Jesus yet. 
because I had this picture, and I just, again, it's not, a, not necessarily a vision I would say, but I had this picture where I'm going to write down, I'm going to write down my sister and my brother. They don't know hope, and I want them to. But could you imagine six months, a year, 10 years, if I could continue to pray, if I could walk them up and be like, hey, hey, Cassie, come here and look at this right here. You can't see it because it's sheetrocked and painted, but right behind here, I threw your name on this many times on Easter. I never stopped believing that God could do something in you. And I, want to, I have a vision of seeing people just come to know the Lord, not because of the building, but because of the gospel. But I refuse to let the building get in the way of the gospel. So I want to invite you guys to help us as a church do that by going over there, putting some names of people down, spending some time praying. There will be people there that can pray with you as well, praying for your family and your friends that don't have the hope and the joy of Jesus Christ. So those are the two things I want us to do. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for baptism. Thank you for giving us um, such a beautiful ritual that, that shows us aligning our hearts to you. God, thank you for the individuals that stood up. I know it takes a step of boldness, and I, I believe that you're stirring in them, and you're doing something. And so I pray that your spirit would just be guiding them and, and leading them, that your, your word would be a lamp unto their feet throughout this week, God, that everywhere they look, they would see you and find ways to make the life that they have about you and not about themselves. God, for the individuals that were in here that couldn't stand up, whether they were fearful or they, they just didn't have the boldness, or they were worried what the person next to them would stake. Um, if they really felt that stirring and didn't do it, God, I just, pray, I just pray boldly, wreak havoc with their hearts. It's not an accident they're here. They think it might be an accident, but you are doing something in them, and I boldly trust that you are doing a mighty work in them, so please do so. Have your way with them. God, we love you, and we thank you for the ability to worship you and to serve you. We thank you for resurrection, and we thank you that it's not just a once-a-year thing in our lives, but it's an everyday thing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.